Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there. Welcome to the 3D Bible, part three. Today, we're going to talk about the story of the Bible. Now, I've been so looking forward to our time together today so that we can talk about this. It is so important in our understanding of the Bible is understanding that story. You know, last week we talked about the reading of the Bible chronologically, and I had recommended to you a resource. But, you know, even reading through the Bible chronologically, there are so many stories. We can go down so many rabbit trails. We can get caught up in so many details that even when we're reading through it chronologically, we can still lose track of the story. So today what I want to do is back up and give us the big picture. You know, I'm one of those people that I can't see the forest for the trees. I get caught up in the details. So I've taught myself in life how helpful it is to back up and look at the big picture. Then I understand so much more and things that relate to my individual tree. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the big picture and then in future episodes, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the details. So before I tell you the story, though, I want to say, you know, a lot of times we hear that the story of the Bible, it's the story of God's love for the world. And totally accurate. I agree with that totally. But that's not the story. That's what the story is about, or that's what drives the story. Now, if I were to ask you, tell me what's the story of the Bible, most of you will at least tell me this. You'll say, well, it starts with God creates the world, and then man falls into sin. So God sends Jesus to die for our sins so that we will go to heaven. And then one day Jesus will come back. So the problem is an oversimplified story. I mean, the story is absolutely accurate. What you just said is absolutely true. That is highlights from the story. But the problem is that when we're oversimplifying the story like that, we, we come to this conclusion that because the Old Testament is about the creation and then the fall of man and sin, and the New Testament is about when Jesus comes to die on the cross for us, that why worry about the Old Testament? It's all the negative. Let's deal with the positive. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's, let's concentrate there. And that's fine, but we come away with this feeling that, um, you know, plan A was God created the earth and he created man, but plan A failed because man fell into sin. So plan B is send Jesus, have him die for the world, and now God will have a people. Well, the problem with that is that we, we think that plan A has been replaced by plan B. Why worry about plan A? It failed. So let's just go with plan B. But my question is, what kind of God has a plan A that fails? I mean, stop and think about that. The God of the universe 
had a plan that failed. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, she wants more detail. So let's go a little bit more into detail about this. And, um, and so you might tell the story this way. God created the heaven and the earth and man. Man fell into sin. So God chose Abraham to create a people that would be his people and that he would work through. But then they fell into sin. And when Jesus came to die on the cross for us, they rejected him even. So God created a new people, the church, which is now his people. So in this scenario, which I, I hear this from a lot of people, this is their understanding of the story. So the facts might be right, but what are the implications of this? That the people that were plan A, which was the Jewish people, failed God, so he went to plan B, which is the church, and today he works through the church. Well, once again, what kind of God has a plan A that fails? So let's take a closer look at this. The first thing I want you to know is that plan A didn't start with the Bible. Plan A was from eternity. And we learn this from Ephesians 1. So I want to read to you Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. It says here that before the foundations of the earth were laid, that he chose us in him to be blameless in his sight, and he predestined us to be adopted into the family into sonship through Jesus Christ. I didn't quote it exactly. But it says that before the foundations of the earth were laid, that we were predestined to be adopted into the family through Christ Jesus. Now, how are we adopted into the family? Through Jesus' birth? No. Through his ministry? No. Through his teachings? No. Only through his death on the cross. So that means that plan A, which from, from eternity before heaven and earth were even created, that plan A was always Jesus' death on the tree. So plan A did not fail, and there is no plan B. So now that we've got that out of the way, what is the story? So let's start. Now, the story is the story of plan A. Keep that in your mind. But the story, the story of the Bible, well, okay, it begins in eternity. But let's look at this now. Uh, before the foundations of the earth were laid, you know, in Revelation 13, it says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. So Jesus' death was always for us. And the lesson is here that God's plan was not dependent on man. God wasn't caught by surprise when Adam and Eve sinned, and he wasn't caught by surprise when the Israelites sinned. He's not surprised when you and I sin today. He knew all of this from beginning. So this is a part of the beautiful plan A, that it's all dependent on God. It's not dependent on man, but God uses man. So then in the Bible, we pick up the story, Genesis 1-1, with when God decides to create the earth. And he creates man. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. We all know 
Eve decided to eat of the forbidden tree, man falls into sin. And from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, it's a very sad story of the decline of mankind. They keep falling into sin. Even after uh, the flood and God's promise to Noah, he'll never do a flood again. Man just becomes wicked again. They fall into idolatry. So man is destined for hell. There's no hope for mankind. And then in Genesis 12, everything changes. Genesis 12 is like the watershed moment of the entire Bible. It is from here that the rest of the story just takes place. It takes off. So I want to take a few minutes just to talk about a couple of key principles here in Genesis, and then we're going to quickly skim through the entire story of the Bible. So what we have happening here in Genesis 12 is that God speaks to a man named Abram. Now, Abram was a Gentile living in Ur of the Chaldees. Tradition has it that his family were uh, idol makers, and the God of the universe speaks to him. And this is what he says. I want to read to you verses 1 through 3. Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is an amazing announcement. God is telling this man Abram that he is announcing his plan to redeem the world. You know, the Apostle Paul says that this verse, that in you all the families of the earth would be blessed, is the first preaching of the gospel because it is referring to Christ. So God is telling this man Abram, Get up, now leave and follow me to a land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those that bless you. And through you and this nation, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth with this amazing plan of redemption. Now, I want you to note that the one thing that Abraham was called to do, he couldn't do. I mean, if you're going to birth a nation, you got to start with one. He couldn't even birth one descendant because Sarah was barren. Interesting. Just like the nation that he was going to create out of Abram also wouldn't be able to fulfill the calling on them as well. It was all up to God. It's not up to man. So now the, uh, the calling on the Jewish people then that we have here, God's going to use Abram to birth this people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And through this people, he's going to carry out this amazing plan. So you could say their calling was to be the, the carriers or the vehicle of this plan of world redemption. But we could also say that their calling is to be, it's a birthing call. So just as Abraham was called to birth a nation, the nation was called to birth this plan of redemption into the earth. Now, I know that may sound a little strange, but the Apostle Paul tells about all of the redemptive products that the Jewish people gave us, that actually God gave the Jewish people so that they would then give to us. 
So I want to read to you from Romans 9, verses 4 to 5. The Apostle Paul, talking about the Jewish people, said, Theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever praised. So the Apostle Paul is saying all these things God did through them, it's theirs, but we are enjoying the benefits of it. You know, in um, Romans 3, he refers to them as the custodians of the Word of God. They were the guardians of the Word. God spoke the Word to them. They guarded it. They carried for it. They cared for it, and they carried it through history so that we have the Bible today, thanks to the Jewish people. Jesus said in, in John 4, verse 22, he said, salvation is of the Jews. Think about it. It was the Jewish Messiah sent to the house of Israel that died on the cross. We are able to tap into that and benefit from it, but salvation is actually first and foremost to the Jews. You know, in, um, Rome, in Revelation 12, the people of Israel are described as, are pictured as a pregnant woman. It's interesting. It depicts that birthing call to bring all of this and first and foremost, the Messiah to earth to die on the cross for us. Now, they would suffer greatly because of this call. And they, yes, sometimes they suffered because of their own sin or rebellion. But when you look at the history, you have to admit that there was a spiritual pursuit of this people because of this special calling that they had on them. Now, we're going to talk more in a future episode about the Jewish people. So I'm going to move on now. But I want you to understand from Genesis the calling on Abraham and the calling on the Jewish people. Now, also, God told Abraham... Follow me to a land I'm going to show you. And a couple of chapters later, uh, God reveals it's the land of Canaan. And in Genesis 17, there's a very interesting uh, verse here where God says that the land of Canaan would be their everlasting possession because it's part of an everlasting covenant. The, the land is so key to this covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, why is that? Well, we're going to talk about it a lot more in a future episode, but I'll say this today. I see the land as a stage. You could call it an entry point. Let me say it this way. If God was going to send the Messiah on earth, where would he go to? God needed a place where he was going to carry out this great story of redemption. He needed a people, and he also needed a place. So I always see the land as like a stage. God would get the stage all set, and then he would do his most amazing works. First of all, he takes the people of Israel into the land, and he makes them into a nation, and he makes wonderful promises to them. But they do fall into sin, and they're in exile. They come back, and then he sets the stage again for the birth and life and death of the Messiah. But then they go into exile, and then he brings them back, and he sets the stage again. 
So we're going to talk more about that in the future, but that's the way I see the land. And until God's plan is completely finished for the earth, he still needs that land. Now, you know, a lot of times we tend to act like everything was finished on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. But what was he talking about? He was talking about the price had been paid for our sin. But not everything is finished. And that's what we're going to see today is that that story that began in eternity and we began reading about in Genesis is still going on today. So the land is very critical. God needs a place. But he tells them that it's as though he needed a holy people for a holy, a holy land. It was his land. It was to be holy, and they were to live holy, righteous lives. They were to live in fellowship with God if they were going to stay on this land. And he told them in Deuteronomy 29 and Deuteronomy 30, we read where he says, If you fall into sin, if you don't obey me, if you don't walk in righteousness with me, because I'm a righteous God, I can only have fellowship with you if you're righteous, then you're going to be kicked out of the land but one day I will bring you back. That's what you read in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. So it's very clear that if they fell into sin, there would be exile. But it's also very clear that he promised to bring them back. So now these are the key principles that are put into place in God's covenant with Abraham and then the covenant with Moses. But um, so now I want to fast forward through the story of the Bible now that you have these key concepts in mind. So God makes these amazing promises to Abraham and Abraham says, how do I know this is going to happen? And he cuts a covenant with him and he, he basically says, you have my word. It's not up to Abraham to fulfill this. It's up to God himself. But he tells them before your descendants inherit the land, they're going to go into slavery in a foreign land. And sure enough, they did. They went to Egypt. They ended up in slavery there for 400 years. And we read about that in the book of uh, Exodus and, and um, throughout Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then it's time. They're ready now to enter the Holy Land and to take possession of it. We read about that in the book of Joshua. And once they go in and they take the land, each tribe had its area of the land. And so it was a government of what we would call a tribal federacy or confederacy. So there were judges that ruled over the various tribal lands. And the people began to cry out and they said, we want a king. All the nations around us have a king. We want a king. And so God gave them King Saul. And after Saul, we have King David. You read about this history. There's uh, three historical books, the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings. So you read about this early history in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Now, they have King David, and this is considered the highlight of Israel's history. They have a king who has a heart after the Lord. They have a kingdom that is prosperous, that is at peace with its neighbors. It's the biggest it ever got. It's the highlight of Israel's history. King David brings the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, up to Jerusalem and worships before the Lord. And God tells him that... Uh, that he's going to make his throne 
and everlasting throne. And this is known as the Davidic covenant. Once again, God doesn't say David has to do anything. God makes that promise. Now, we uh, do see with David that he establishes Jerusalem as the capital of his kingdom. And uh, God takes all the credit for that. He says, this is the place that I have chosen. Now, after King David, his son Solomon takes over. Solomon allows sin to come in, even though he's the one that builds the first temple. And it's really magnificent. But sin begins to creep in. And, and uh, after him and his son, uh, we have the split of the kingdom. We now have the kingdom of the north, which is called Israel, and the kingdom of the south, which includes Jerusalem, and that's called Judah. You know, division is always a sign of sin. And this is a really sad decline in the history of Israel. And we have the prophets like Hosea and Amos and Isaiah, and they begin to prophesy to the kingdom of the north, if you do not return to your God, because they had set up alternate worship, they uh, had idolatrous worship, they said, turn back to the Lord or else judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, how did the prophets know judgment was coming? Because in the law, in Deuteronomy, it had been very clear that if they fell into sin, judgment would come and they would be exiled from the land. So the prophets sensed it was coming. They saw it was coming and they began to warn the kingdom of Israel and they didn't listen. And sure enough, the Assyrian army came in, took over uh, the kingdom of the north and took the people into exile into Assyria. This was in 722 BC. Then the prophets began prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah. They, they kept some limited sovereignty, but they said, if you don't return to the Lord, judgment is coming. And Isaiah, uh, sorry, Jeremiah prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. Sure enough, uh, this time it's in the form of the Babylonian army who has taken over the Assyrian empire. They come in, they take the southern kingdom and Jerusalem and take the people into exile. This is known as the end of the first exile. Now, this first exile lasted for 70 years, just as the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that it would. And here we have the story of Daniel, who's in Babylon, and he reads this in the book of Jeremiah and begins to pray for the return of the exiles. And then we have the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire, and it's the Persian king Cyrus that says he's going to allow all of the subjects of the kingdom to return to their homelands and to rebuild their temples. And so he allows uh, the return of the Jewish exiles. And we read about this in the book of Nehemiah and in Ezra, and it's a time of revival. Back in the land, they rebuild their temple, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And this begins to set the stage now. The Jewish people are returning to their homeland. Uh, there's a lot of history here that I'll, I will skip over, but to say that the stage is set, and then we have the beginning of the New Testament, and we have the birth and the life and the ministry of Jesus. And of course, his death on the cross, our redemption has been won. And right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, in a few days, go back uh, to Jerusalem. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit because Jesus had to return to the throne of heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit. And once he did, the church is born. And we read about this in the book of Acts. 
and um, and then the gospel begins to be spread by the apostles into the surrounding uh, region and surrounding nations. We read about this in the book of Acts and also in the epistles. The last epistle has been written by the time a major event takes place. The uh, it's assumed that the apostle Paul died around 67 A.D. And in 67 A.D., the Roman Empire begins a siege of Jerusalem. And by 70, they completely take over the city. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. The people uh, of Israel are either have either been killed or they're uh, fleeing for their lives. They go into exile. And this is known as the second exile. Now, you might be asking, well, what prophet warned about the second exile? And it was Jesus. Jesus prophesied that that the uh, temple would be destroyed. He prophesied this would happen. He said, when it happens, run into the hills. And um, the Jewish believers in Jesus did that. And they uh, skipped, they missed out on the siege of Jerusalem because they ran as he had warned them to do. But we have this uh, exile begins and the last book of the Bible is written. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John while on the Isle of Patmos. It was written around 80, 85 AD. So this finishes the Bible, but the story is not over yet. And this is what I want you to walk away with today. The story that began in eternity ends in eternity. It didn't end with Jesus, and it didn't end with the book of Revelation. The Bible foretold of events that would happen in the future, and two of those events are happening in our day. I want you uh, to know, first and foremost, the return of Israel to their land. And um, Isaiah 11.11 said that one day God would raise his hand a second time and to regather the outcast of Israel. So we see this happening, and, it, and Jesus prophesied it. He said that Jerusalem would be trampled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. So one day, Jerusalem would be back under Jewish sovereignty. We see this happening in our day. Now, uh, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples asked him, they said, so are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he didn't say to them, you're wrong. He didn't disagree with them. He just answered their question. He said, the timing is not for you to know. So in other words, the timing of the restoration of Israel is not for you to know. We are today are privileged to be living in this time. Of course, the second prophesied event, which has not happened yet, is the return of Jesus uh, to the planet. So we can talk more about that also in a future episode, but I wanna summarize uh, what we've heard so far. So the story of God's love for a fallen world is the story of his choice of a people through whom he gave these amazing redemptive products such as the law and the promises and the covenants and our very Bible and the birth of the Messiah, even the death of the Messiah. The Jewish people made up the early church. 
They were the early church, the early apostles. They wrote most, if not all, of the New Testament. It's all, we are so spiritually indebted to the Jewish people because they have fulfilled the calling of God on them to bring this plan of world redemption to the earth. And you know, Jesus may have paid the price on the cross and said it's finished, but it's not all finished until he returns to the earth. Only then will all of these promises be fulfilled and will it be over. So the story that began in eternity is going to end in eternity. But for eternity to come to this world when the old earth gives way to the, the new heaven, the new earth, the old Jerusalem gives way to the new Jerusalem, the eternal Jerusalem that will come down from heaven that requires Jesus to return and establish his kingdom to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. You know, uh, Jesus' final words to us in Revelation 22, uh, at the very, very end of the whole book, the whole Bible, the very end, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the root and offspring of David. He is returning to sit on the throne of the eternal kingdom of David that God promised David, what, 3,500 years ago? So this means God's promises to Abraham are still being fulfilled in our day. And God's promises to David will be fulfilled. These covenants are still in place. The calling on the Jewish people to mediate them for us is still in place. We, you and me, Gentiles, through the grace of God and through the blood of Jesus, are able to tap into this rich heritage and to become a part of it. We are adopted into the family through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, we're like wild olive branches that have been grafted into this tree. We become a part of it, and we are able to grow and be sustained by the sustenance of the root of this tree. Wow, is this not an amazing story? Did I not say this is the most exciting book on the planet? Now, I know I may not be the best storyteller, but I do hope that you caught just a glimpse of the awe in this story that I feel as I share it with you. So that wraps up today, but I want to share with you a few resources because I know I just covered, what, four or 5,000 years of history, and I covered the entire Bible. I actually went from eternity to eternity. It's a lot. So let me tell you the resources that we have that might help you go just a, a review, a nice review of this. First is we have a little booklet called the Bases for Christian Support of Israel, and what it does is it's a little simple-to-read booklet. You can read it in one hour by Reverend Malcolm Heading, and it will talk about this Abrahamic covenant, and it's going to review a lot of what I shared with you out of the book of Genesis. Now, for those of you, um, and, and let me tell you, beginners in advance both love that booklet. 
Um, for those of you that want to understand a little bit more um, about the return of Jesus and how that fulfills all of this and the, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant, I recommend um, the book called It Must Be Finished, Making Sense of the Return of Jesus. So I give you links to both of those resources in today's show notes. Once again, I want to highly recommend that everyone get a copy of the Daily Bible, which is the chronological Bible that I recommend. And when you feel ready to start reading through it, do. Um, but for now, as we're laying the groundwork here, you might just want to read through the daily summaries at the beginning of each chapter. But I explained that last week. I just want to remind you to get your copy of the Daily Bible. Now, um, I think that takes care of everything today. And uh, I know it's a little bit much, but uh, it's, it's necessary to lay out that big picture. Next week, we're going to talk about just the Old Testament and how should we as Christians relate to the Old Testament? How should we read it? How should we interpret it and understand it? Is it even important for us to read? So until then, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and be with you. And I look forward to being back with you again next time so we can talk about the Old Testament. God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.